Welcome to episode number 85 of the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andy Tempty. Today, we've got Paul Terval joining us as our fifth guest in our mini-series on the topic of challenging conversations and constructive feedback. Paul is a self-described international human capital explorer, is managing partner at Team Andare, and president of the Virtual Speakers Association. Paul joins us from the Netherlands, and we're thrilled to welcome him back uh, to the show. <laughs> Thank you for your contributions, Paul. I'm happy to be with you again, Andrew. Thank you. Yeah, we, uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, uh, we had a, a bit of a technical snafu on our first recording session of this episode about a month ago. Uh, so we are we are back at it and now over Zoom. Uh, so, Paul, before we get started, I always ask this question. Uh, please tell our listeners your story. Well, my story is that I started as a lawyer. And more than 40 years ago, I studied labor law, social security law, which is quite important in the Netherlands with our system. Um, I worked there many years uh, as a lawyer. And at some point, I was thinking we take tremendously good care of people who are unemployed, who are ill, who are um, disabled, whatever. We have great financial settings. But the attention was always at that backside, taking care of people who aren't competing anymore in the normal way. And I was thinking, why aren't we giving people on the front side who are still working, who are still able to do their job, why aren't we supporting them in a normal way? And I found out that because of uh, shareholder value and that kind of stuff. We aren't taking care of our employees in a way we could if we look at their needs. So I started engagement or well-being, uh, work with professors, published a book on it recently. And I found out that if we are taking care of people and have the right conversations with them. And the simple question is, what do you need to be on the top of your, uh, of your play? And people will answer that question and it won't cost us millions. It will support us, but engagement goes up, productivity goes up, sick leave goes down, failures go down. So yeah, Gallup in the U.S. is doing a lot of tremendous research on it. I'm happy with them because they prove that taking care of people is amazing. And that's what I love doing and talking about. Yeah. So, uh, Paul, if uh, thank you for placing people at the front. Uh, you know, people are a business's most valuable asset. And if uh, our listeners get one thing from this conversation today, it should be exactly that, that people are a business's most valuable asset. Uh, if you had to pick one event in your life that was just a key accelerant to your career, what would that be? Oh, I think that was in, in this period, in 2018. Um, I was in Namibia uh, for an international speakers convention in Windhoek, which is a lovely town uh, in southwestern Africa. And two people came to me, and they, they live in, in Cape Town, and 
they told me, Paul, you did a ter- terrific, uh, good job. It was really nice to see you. But you can improve. And you know, for egos, it's always terrible to hear you're doing a good job, but you can improve. But I said yes to their offer to spend four days with them in Cape Town a couple of months later. And they really changed my whole focus on my business. And that helped me towards what I'm doing now. Traveling, not around the world yet, that will come back, but talking about engagement, about the slogan, happiness makes money. Yes. Very, very cool. You know, it's always uh, initially disconcerting when somebody tells you that that you can improve, especially if you uh, be- if you believe yourself that you're on a continuous improvement journey already, yeah. and and then somebody comes in from the side and says, "No, you 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 can you can do that better." Uh, that feedback is uh, is such a gift, and uh, it's a wonderful segue into the topic at hand today, which is challenging conversations. Yeah. Can, can you help us understand your approach to delivering constructive feedback and engaging in difficult conversations? Well, I, I think the most important word in this situation is trust. Um, there must be trust between the, the person who is asking for feedback and the one who is giving feedback. So if you trust one another, Whatever in a positive way I tell you, you will accept it because you trust me that I'm open, that I'm transparent, that I don't have a hidden agenda, that I'm just there to help you perform in a better way. So I like to see it as as part of appreciative inquiry that you need to listen in a very good way and not only listen to the words but to the meaning of the words. And the third layer is to the silences between the words. Mm, Yes. So feedback is very, very important, but there must be that feeling of trust that I can trust you, that you are willing to help me and make me make that next step. Yeah, thank thank you for that. Um, you know, in in my next book, I, I talk a lot about uh, building trust in your business at Team Andare. You you are uh, working on uh, building engagement with the companies that you work with. Uh, what is the relationship between engagement and what some call frank and fearless conversations in the flow of work? I think it's it's very connected because engagement is connected to core values. Um, and for me, core values are, and it's a nice term, we don't have in my language in Dutch, non-negotiables. Um, I have some core values and most people have four or five and I don't like only words, but the sentence in which you explain what you mean with that non-negotiable If you know my non-negotiables and I know yours, we are both accountable to one another. And in that situation, engagement goes up and we can have a real good conversation. 
a trusted, open, transparent uh, conversation. So I think they're connected immediately. Yeah, is uh, you know we we we're we're going to talk a lot about building trust here. Yeah. Uh, is there uh, going a little bit off script? Is there uh, like one thing that you tell your uh, clients that uh, that is just key to to building trust within the organization, uh, especially to leadership? Um, because in a traditional way, the the old Taylor approach. The leaders are above the employees. You look at the, the, the construction of the organization, CEO is on top with above the shareholders. Building trust in that situation is so difficult because I, as a leader, can ruin your career. Hmm. Me, as an employee, I can be scared of for my position and with my position comes my family my income my house my whole life if that's the situation building trust is quite difficult so what we try to do in europe is to move leadership to the side so we create more horizontal organizations in which the people who are doing the real job, we call them the front line or the professionals. If I go to a shop and somebody is standing there and asks, how can I help you, sir? She's the professional. I, I don't know anything. I'm asking her, can you help me out? Then her manager, her leader, shouldn't be not above her but behind her and support her, facilitate her right. in what she is doing. And when you have that horizontal line, you see that trust is easier to build because I'm the front line, I'm the professional, and you're standing behind me to support me, to push me in front, getting more trust, getting more experience, getting more clients, getting more money. And that's what business, businesses are all about. So I think if we can create that situation that I, as an employee, trust that you are there to facilitate me, to help me grow, then we can build trust. I, I just love how you put that. And uh, it it really puts the customer front and center uh, in the in the business versus a traditional organizational chart where leadership is at the top and yeah. everybody else is at the bottom. And almost by default, the customer is the lowest uh, in in Absolutely. the organization. And uh, your your construct has really turned that around that the customer is uh, front and center. So uh, th and thank the, you. The point is what, what we try to do uh, and, and a lot of organizations speak about customer experience. Yeah. And I totally agree because if I don't like the company where I'm going, it's not working. But we need to focus on the employee experience as well. So maybe even EX becomes before CX because if I have happy employees, I have successful employees, they can help the customers even better. Look at companies like Starbucks. 
That's their way of doing. You are a partner where you're serving coffee. It's the third office that people have. You have home, you have your office, and you have Starbucks. And I'm not <laughs> making, uh, making that bigger than they are. But the point is, if I create partnership with my employees, that's different than a vertical line. Partners are horizontal. Yeah. And we know that without those professionals, that front line, whatever we say in the top, we're not going to get any results. So a shareholder can say, do this. And the CEO tells downwards, you have to do this. And it goes on. And then you have scary employees on the bottom. Yeah. And if you have scary employees, you will have scared customers too. If you make it horizontal, it's still the same. You have shareholders who say to banks, for example, you need to improve. And then they say, well, let's see what we can do to facilitate our employees to become partners and to become better in their work. You feel that there is more trust needed in that organization because the front line can walk away. And I think that's the big difference with five or 10 years ago. If you had a job, you will have five, six people standing in line to fulfill that job. Now it's the other way around. In the Netherlands, we have 130 um, job descriptions and only 100 people who can fulfill them. Mm. So we are creating a lack of employees. So the position of that front line is becoming stronger and stronger and stronger. So we need to stop uh, talking about human resources. We need to start talking about human beings. Yeah. And, and with human beings, I can build trust. I can have a good conversation because I'm a human being. You are a human being. And we are on the same level in our conversation. That's easy when it's top down. Yeah. Uh, Paul, is uh, is there a mentor or a former boss colleague that, in your opinion, just had outstanding, challenging conversation skills? And what set them apart from everybody else? Oh, I had one, an American uh, guy, Lou Heckler, um, an amazing speaker, amazing colleague, an amazing mentor. And what he always did is when we had our mental meeting, our boss-employee meeting, was sitting backwards and saying, tell me, Paul. And then he stopped. So what he did was creating an open space for me to tell my story. Right. And of course, he would reflect on it but in a lot of conversations with your boss or your mentor, they start talking and asking you questions. And by asking questions, you are leading the discussion. And Lou just sat down and said, tell me, Paul. And I can tell you the first time I had no clue what to tell him. <laughs> I thought, ask me questions. And he didn't. And yeah. then I think there was silence for two, three minutes. I have no clue. And then I started talking. 
And then he picked some things out of it and said, can you, can you explain that to me? What, what is it doing for you? And so we went from piece to piece, him asking questions and more importing him listening to me, listening to my story, not the story he wanted to hear. And I think mentoring and having great conversations is all about listening. Well, Paul, that, that's uh, that's actually a, a, a wonderful uh, uh, prelude into next week's uh, conversation. We have a gentleman named uh, Stephen Kohler joining us, and uh, Stephen and I are both musicians. And in that episode, we we talk about the value of the rest. Uh, uh, the value of the space in between. So I really appreciate you, uh, you know, really shining a bright light on the value of that space and of that rest uh, to, uh, you know, to allow a conversation to naturally progress. Uh, Paul, we're going to take a really short break for a, a commercial and we'll be right back. Thanks for listening to the Balancing Act podcast. I'm Andrew Tempty. In my book, Balancing Act, Teach, Coach, Mentor, Inspire, I explore the characteristics required of leaders who must find balance between strength and vulnerability, confidence and selflessness, passion and measure, and leadership and followership. Balancing Act is available today at Amazon.com. And we're back with Paul Terval talking about challenging conversations in the workplace. Uh, Paul, let's run a quick thought experiment. Suppose you have an early career manager in front of you right now who struggles to have effective, challenging conversations. What do you tell them? I tell them if, if, if they are challenged to, to have this kind of talks and go into the deep, to take a walk with the employees. Because we are sitting opposite. We can look in the eyes. I can see even what you're thinking. If we are walking side by side, what we do, and that, that's brain examined, we have an open space in front of us. And with an open space through our eyes, our brain gets open as well. So we create more space to have that challenging conversation because I'm not confronting you with my face and with my style of conversation. We're walking side by side. I did a lot of challenging conversations with people who were disabled, who couldn't work and needed to go back to work. And that's a big confrontation if you tell somebody, well, you think you're real, but the doctor decided that you can work again. And I didn't do it in an office space. I said, let's have a walk and drink a cup of coffee. And the, it was in the southern part of the Netherlands, in Maastricht, and we were walking side by side along the riverside, and I knew a coffee shop 15 minutes down the river. So we walked for 15 minutes. In that 15 minutes, I did my challenging conversation with that person. Then we sat down, had a coffee and said, how does it feel what we just discussed? 
And then you see that open mind by people who said, well, at first I thought, hmm, this isn't, this isn't nice. You're, you're confronting me. But he said, but you, you weren't pushing me. I could respond in an open way. And then you see that the trust is built, that you can silence, that you can keep the space. And then we walked back and we were talking about family, dogs, horses, whatever people loved. And coming back in the office, the problem was solved. And I can tell you, more than 90% went that way. And of course, you will have some challenging conversations that you think, this is not going to work. Well, maybe somebody else should try it. So if you are a young manager just starting, think about it if you need to have a challenging conversation. What is the best way to start that conversation? Is that in an open space with open mind, going for a walk to have a coffee, or sitting in a room opposite one another with your papers in front of you, with your pen in your hand? Don't do it. Yeah. Because I feel threatened already by thinking about <laughs> it. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah, the... The, the you know take take the adversarial uh, out of the equation. Uh, we you know you know uh, you were talking about walking along the river uh, in in your uh, in give, providing challenging conversations. The the Mississippi River is right behind me, and uh, our offices uh, were right along the Mississippi River, and. Uh, we are kindred spirits uh, because I used to really like to uh, invite uh, colleagues to take a walk along the river uh, and, and, and have a conversation. Not all of them were challenging, but I totally, uh, totally understand uh, the brain science that you were talking about, about opening up uh, uh, the, the, the mind uh, by walking along alongside one another. Thank you so, so much for that, Paul. Um, Paul, I'd like to talk about skills. We always talk about skills at some point. Two skills that listeners have to hone to become better at delivering constructive feedback and engaging in those challenging conversations. What are they? Well, you can understand that number one is the skill to listen. Um, because otherwise my whole story would have been fake. Um, and sometimes it's difficult. I'm a professional speaker, so I speak a lot. Like you said, with music, the spaces in between, and like I said, listen to words, listen to the meaning of words, and listen to the silence in between, that's a skill that you can train. We, we can learn it. If you don't do it, you can learn it. That's number one. The second one is to always have a positive approach. I'm a big fan of positive psychology. What we normally do is look at the mistakes. And my sentence is, if I fail more times than you, I will win. Because if you fail, you can learn. Right. If you make a mistake and somebody approaches you with a positive attitude, you can learn. That's also feedback. If you do it the other way, you made a mistake and it will cost us a lot of money. The opposite side will shrink 
and will become smaller and smaller. And if you say, whoa, this wasn't good, man. This is terrible. What did you learn from it? We both know that it costs us money. The question is, what did you learn from it to prevent it the next time and to perform better and get that money back? So listening and positive response. Uh, thank, thank, thank you so much for that. I think we are uh, both in uh, uh, really good agreement that uh, con- that confrontation and an adversarial footing uh, is not good for a challenging conversation. Nope. <laughs> and yeah. It may seem counterintuitive to some. Uh, and, uh, you know, people like to be, quote unquote, the boss and tell, tell, tell. Uh, but uh, that is not uh, that is not how to engage. You know, in and, a and, and some people are successful. You have some politicians uh, all over the world who play boss. Yeah. And there will be people who love that style. So I'm not going to say that's completely wrong. Because. I see what happens in the world. On the other side, to be more successful, you need to be a facilitator. Yeah. And you need to support people. And that's what we will see in the, in the next 10 to 20 years that the boss types will reduce and the facilitators will increase. And that companies that can really have good conversation, good listening, respond in a positive way, will improve. And that's why my slogan is happiness makes money. Not playing the boss is creating money. No, happiness. So people are in their well-being, love what they're doing, are positive, love to go to work and get energy from work and go back and have a great family life. That will make money. Yeah, so that that's a great segue uh, into the next question at uh, Team Andari, the 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 business that uh, that you lead. Uh, you talk about engagement, uh, happiness, and uh, profits. Can you talk a little bit more about that about that formula and how it can be used uh, to build a successful business? Yeah, what what research shows that there are four items that are needed to create engagement. And that's the A of uh, autonomy. People need to have the feeling that what they think and what they can add to the business is really valuable to the organization. So if you ask them, how can we improve? All those professionals will give you an answer. Even the cleaners, the ones who are swiping the floor... They know what to improve. So give them that autonomy, that they are the professional. B, they need to belong to a team or to a group. And we saw during Corona and COVID that that went wrong. Working from home alone isn't creating belonging. I don't say that you need to be at work the whole time, but belong to a team. The B is very important. Train them the competencies. And D is, in Dutch and in your language, it's purpose. It's about meaning. Create that meaning that they know what they are working for. What is the mission, the vision of the organization? What are the core values? If we can combine those four, we automatically see 
that engagement goes up and with that profitability goes up. So we can pe- make slaves from people and they will make mistakes. And we saw it in the productivity lines, in the big factories. Over the time, there were more and more incidents and mistakes made. Then Toyota started with shutting down that area and saying, hey, what went wrong and how can we improve? And all the employees were participating, belonging, autonomy, and were trained competences to understand what went wrong and how we can prevent it. Because our mission is to create the best car. So Toyota started doing those four elements. And of course, they needed to restart as soon as possible. So they weren't taking two hours away from from work, but they shut down the production line to see what happened and how they can prevent that kind of mistakes. And with that, Toyota became more agile, we call it. And But they were working with their brains, not only their hands. And they asked the employees to use their brains and become that professional. Yeah. And we see it work everywhere, in banks, insurance companies, give those people the autonomy to tell what they can improve. Yeah. Uh, that's that, that's wonderful, Paul. Uh, we're, we're closing out our time together. Final question, uh, just a few sentences. What are you most excited about for the future of your business? And what's your current passion? Uh, my current passion, and that, that's my mission as well, to tell this story about working from your non-negotiables and getting more profit out of it as a human being and as a company. That's what I love to do. I would love to tell this story to convince people that we need to go, and we call it a Rhineland model instead of the Anglo-Saxon model, which is vertical, the horizontal uh, version that, that it will help employees to get a better life. And it doesn't matter on what status you are. And I think my career, well, if you look at, I started more than 40 years ago, so I'm, I'm coming to the end of my official career, another three years, and I'm done according to the law. But I'm not stopping. No. As, as long as I have the energy to tell this story, I will be there and I'm willing to support everybody to make a mind change, a paradigm shift into looking at engagement as a way to improve profitability of organizations because organizations need to make profit. I'm not against profit, but do it in the right way. Take care of the planet, take care of the people. That's, that's the best. People, planet, profits. Uh, I, I, I talk about that in my, my next book as well. Yeah. Paul, I have just uh, loved getting to know you. I'm sure our listeners are going to really resonate with your, with your messages today. Uh, you and I uh, are both, we're not going to stop. Uh, you know, we're technically ending the, or nearing the end of our careers but uh, we, we've, we've got to keep going because there are positive stories to tell, like the stories that you told today. And thank you so much for your contributions. And thank you, Andrew, for having me here. 
Yes. My name is Andy Tempty. This is the Balancing Act podcast. You can find us on all the major podcasting streaming services around the world. Please like, subscribe, rate. Uh, Most importantly, share. Send me an email with your feedback, and we will see you next time.